podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Heart and Hand Extra, the second of our free weekly pod here from the Heart and Hand team. My name's David Edgar, I'm your host as always, and joining me to look ahead to Rangers Saturday afternoon, 3pm kickoff. how good is that? Uh, Ibrox against St Johnston is the Livingston Lothario himself, Cameron James Bell. Good evening, Cammy. Good evening, David. How are you this evening? I'm not too bad. I am very much looking forward to to getting back to Ibrox. Seems we've had an awful lot of matches away and it's felt like that the last few weeks, but looking forward to getting back to Ibrox and there is nothing better than a Saturday three o'clock kickoff, is there? No, you've got to love it. It's your bread and butter. You can make decent plans with meeting up with the chaps. You can go and have a wee aperitif if that's your your fancy and you can just make sure that uh, you can look forward to it properly without doing all that kind of nonsense about work and all the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, football was meant to be played on a Saturday afternoon at three o'clock. And I understand TV and all the rest of it, but it's still nice when you get the opportunity to do it. And Rangers will against uh, St. Johnson side, who Rangers have beaten twice in our two matches against them this season. Obviously, just before Christmas, we beat them 2-1, a very uh, important win, a last-minute goal from Alfredo Morelos that got us over the line in that one. In fact, Rangers coming from behind, and uh, it was a superb performance by Alfredo Morelos to help us get the point. And the Ibrox match earlier this season was an excellent performance from Rangers, winning five goals to one, and it was five going on eight or nine that day. Uh, Alfredo Morelos scored in that, but Cammy, he most certainly will not score on Saturday because uh, he is suspended, having lost his fast-track appeal. Now, last Saturday against Kilmarnock, Rangers, I think, went with pretty much the same system, went with the 4-3-3 with Jermaine Defoe in the side. And, and as we talked about, Jermaine Defoe is, is a very, very good player and he can work in a 4-3-3, but you need to play differently to him than you play to Alfredo Morelos. You can hit, I wouldn't say aimless, but you can play the ball into space, if you like, or into an area high. And Morelos has the ability to go work the defender, win the ball and barrel in from the wing. That's not Jermaine Defoe's game. So although you can play the same system, you do have to adapt how you're playing. 100%. I think, um, I mean, it's not new news, but, you know, um, Defoe's a smarter player. He's got more experience and he will be a bit more uh, wily. Uh, Morelos is just going to give you bags and bags of effort and running. Um, He'll terrorise defenders. Whereas I think you just can't allow any kind of space to be given to the four. If you turn off for a minute, then you know he's going to punish you. And I think he showed that mm. with that goal of Petodri, where he just drifts out of space, just sees exactly what the defender's going to do. Obviously, is is um, Tavernier run towards him and then makes makes the commitment. And by that time, Defoe's already away from him, and as I say, generated that space. And um, I would also say I'm very comfortable that if anything falls to him. Um, within the 18-yard box that he's going to be able to finish it. So um, it's not ideal not having Alfie. We know how much we rely on him. Um, but having having Defoe there is, is obviously super backup and exactly the reason as to why he was brought here. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do think, though, that you can almost become... 
maybe lazy is not the right word for it, but you can know as a player elsewhere in the park that you can play that type of ball and Morelos is such a good player, he can make something of it. The onus is a little bit more on the creative players because, as you say, what Defoe is brilliant at is making intelligent runs, ghosting away from his defenders, finding space, but then the responsibility is on the person from midfield to find them. With that in mind, there has been some debate about whether Rangers might change not only the 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 setup tomorrow, but uh, some of the personnel. Um, last week against Kilmarnock, which is obviously a far different a far different match than playing St Johnston at home, the Rangers went with what you might call their combative midfield of McCrory, Jack, and Arfield, the one that served so well against Celtic. But there's a suspicion that you're going to need a bit more craft in a game against St Johnston there. Not likely to come out very far. You're going to need players. So there might be a shout for a player like Stephen Davis, perhaps, to come into the side. But also I've heard people say that maybe it would be the type of game where you can go with the two up front and Kyle Lafferty. And then you've still got your out ball. You've still got the ability to hit that, if you like, that that diagonal that a lot of our players hit. But you give a different sort of challenge. Basically, you lose Morelos and he's so good, but then you've got the two guys and that makes up for it. What would be your thought on maybe changing the formation from what's become almost a traditional 4-3-3 into a 4-4-2? I don't know. I don't know if I can go with a point of, you know, saying that... And listen, you're absolutely right in terms of commandments a different kettle of fish, and listen, I totally agree with that. However, I also don't know if we can start going gung-ho with changes if it's because we look at the opposition and want to purposely set up differently when the system suits us and suits what we are looking to be able to get out of it. Now, that's not to say that if it doesn't become quite comfortable and we get you know, a two-goal lead, for example, and get a gap that we can't change it, which is what I would look to be able to try and do, because I think that once the result is assured, then we can start to, to move it around. Um, you know, it breaks my heart to say it, but I don't think we can rely on Lafferty at the moment. It's not March, it's not season-clinching time. Um, <laughs> only a couple of weeks to wait now, right? Only, only right. yeah, once he gets into the spring, then that's when he comes into his own and obviously seals 55 for us. Right. Um, however, um, I also don't know how we do that. With Defoe and Lafferty, I'm not overly convinced as to, to the investment time that that needs in order to be able to, to produce the goods. Yeah. So, I, I don't know, I think we, we, I mean, I hate saying that, I sound like Martin Ramsey, uh, but we're, we have to, I think, have a degree of, of pragmatism and not uh, tinker too much with something because I don't want us to start getting down our plan B route if plan A doesn't work and all of a sudden we have to revert to type. Let's do what we're good at um, and if we can control the game and dominate it, and as I say, once the result is pretty much in the bag, then we can start to I would go with the 4-3-3, but I would like to see Davis come into the midfield. Now, he hasn't played particularly well since he arrived. We know that. He needs games. But I don't think Arfield played particularly well in the last couple of matches. I, I, it's been rumoured that he's carrying a, a knock, and it kind of looked that way. You were still getting the effort, but the quality wasn't there. I think you could easily go with, if you like, the two... Uh, with, with McCrory holding and Jack just in front of him and then you can have Stephen Davis literally just in behind um, with the ability to play that pass because you do have a striker who needs more intelligent uh, service so you've got him and he's he's able to just sit there get the ball and, and knock it out to the likes of Kent on one wing and Davis on the other 
Defoe through the middle. And I think that presents St Johnston with a lot of problems because even if they do sit in, you you touched on it earlier, turn off for a second and you've got a guy who can find a striker, who can find space. And as you say, when he gets a chance, I think we're all pretty confident he's going to put it away. So that would be something I would go with. What are your thoughts? I agree. I, I don't know where not Davis is at this point where... Because um, certainly when I've seen him, don't get wrong, he, he is a touch off the pace, and and you know obviously needs to get regular game times. It's that old cliche of yes, you can be fit, but game time is game time, and and you know playing and and games is a different is a different matter. So although he's obviously working in his fitness, I, I know there's a bit of a kind of step there. You're right about Arfield; he does have, um, he does look like he's carrying a bit of a knock. He does have a little bit of kind of. Um, a little bit of pace missing and that's listen do you know what you know maybe he just needs a little bit of a breather and there's nothing wrong with that the problem I've got with what you're suggesting is I'm not a hundred percent sold that Davis has found his range yet because I've mm. seen a little bit too much in terms of overstretched passing um little bit awkward in terms of what it is and listen do you know what David you and I are spoiled we've seen Stephen Davis ping passes like that you know every day of the yeah. week and it's been his bread and butter when he was in his prime and stuff so he'll get back to it and he'll take it from there but you know as well as I do that he has that quality he has the ability what we need to get to is where St Johnson will just simply um you know defend their area they will be able to get back into it St Johnson have obviously played Celtic I think just under 100 times in the last three weeks <laughs> so they'll 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 be looking to be able to try and see what they can do now with a little bit of a change of pace. Um, Stephen Davis has got the ability to unlock defenses like that and find it. I just don't know if this game is slightly too early for him to be able to produce that on a consistent basis. Now, fair point. Well, we'll we'll see what happens in that one. Now, quite a few other things in in Scottish football to talk about that uh, I, I wanted to get your your opinions on. The first one is the news that came today that the uh, PFA in Scotland had polled all their members apart from players of, at clubs in the top league who play on plastic pitches as they didn't want to put them in an awkward position and understand that. But the, they said, according to the results of that poll, unanimously, i.e. not one player said that they would keep plastic pitches and the PFA have announced that on behalf of professional players in the top division in Scotland, they want plastic pitches to be banned uh, in the top league. Now, the Hamilton Aki's vice chairman, Les Gray, has come out and said uh, the PFA are dinosaurs and they need to smell the coffee, was his quote, that plastic pitches are here to stay. So it's something that fans don't like it's something that players now we know don't like but uh, it seems it's something that that club officials do like yeah so this is interesting and it's interesting you're talking to me about this because obviously staying in Livingston and knowing having been through here for a few years now the issues that Livingston in particular have had with their grass surfaces when they had them um, they were very much in a real difficult position when it came close to, to weekend games that when weather permitting um, the games were going to hopefully be going ahead as long as Livingston were able to get bodies and I do mean that bodies down to be able to get the pitch uncovered, to be able to get it cleared, to do all that kind of stuff um, there, is a, there is an argument and I understand it from fans who have plastic pitches who will probably argue that when they had grass surfaces 
they've got far more reliability that games will go ahead now. Um, so if you open up that argument, you're then saying, well, and that because of that, fixtures don't get congested. We don't need as many um, rearranged games because obviously call-offs, etc. Um, no one players, you know, included wants to play on that kind of surface. Do you know what I mean? And any guys who play at a non-professional level, they'll tell you the difference in terms of a good surface versus a bad surface, even when it comes to plastic pitches. The problem that you've got with this is where some of these clubs, and I'm not talking about Hamilton Ackies, let's go kind of lower divisions than that. Some of these clubs rely on match day income to happen. And I think if you've got significantly bad weather, the like of which we've had within the last 12 months in Scotland, that can have real impact on fixtures and then rearrange fixtures, been able to do all that, especially when you're, you know, at, at lower division clubs, you've got problems. The solution to this, in my opinion, is that the top flight feed money into the bottom flights in order to be able to get uh, grass surfaces maintained. And we have a better idea as to regards what we do with fixture congestion. I don't know if that means, for example, we play cup games to a finish rather than playing them as a draw because we now obviously have to replay against Kilmarnock. That's another fixture put into the uh, put into the calendar. That's nothing to do with the surface. It's just the fact that the fixtures are starting to mount up. So I, I, I can understand both arguments, but the plastic pitches are horrendous. No one wants to play in them. Even if you'd pulled the players who do play in them, you're right, they would have to say they don't mind them. But I can give you a guarantee when Jordan Jones moves to us, he will be asked about it now, so I much prefer playing grass. Of course he will. No, of course. And, and like we, it's what people grow up in, it's what they're used to. And I do get that uh, the argument that sometimes put forward, that the, the chairman put forward or club official put forward saying, ah, well, you're just not used to it. And who likes change? And I get that. But every game I've watched on a plastic pitch, there's a head knock because the ball doesn't bounce properly. There are guys who are, you can see them not able to fully commit into runs or tackles or whatever because they, they, it feels strange under the feet. And I just think that you should be able to have a, a, a grass pitch. I mean, that's a basic requirement to me that you should be able to have a grass pitch. And as far as I'm, I mean, I understand we've long enough in the tooth in the cami to know that just because us fans like or dislike something doesn't mean it's going to get changed. But you would think that fans and players, then that will get done. Of course, as someone Riley said to me, as soon as Celtic decide they want plastic pitches banned, that's probably when we'll see action taken. On it. <laughs> um, and uh, they may well be right there. And speaking of which, uh, the compliance officer has been in the headlines this week uh, with, I think, most sources, including even ones that you wouldn't necessarily think would be coming out with it, saying that the compliance officer system is flawed, that the the, the current system appears to be random, that not all incidents are cited, that there's an inconsistency even in the ones that are, and that it would appear that you can, at any weekend in Scottish football, take... 10 incidents from the from the matches that are played, uh, you might get one or two of them done. You won't get them all done. So there is a bit of pressure building on the SFA. My take is, as it's always been, that the compliance officer system isn't necessarily a terrible idea in theory, but at the moment is being dreadfully executed. And that's even before you get into any, any idea of something sinister going on. But just... In a factual basis, there have been so many incidents over the, the last week that you think, well, hang on, how? but why is that not getting looked at? But OK, right, you're doing that. 
And obviously Rangers fans, I think we've got a right to feel that uh, it's in black and white. Rangers are on the end of punishment from the compliance officer more often than any other club. So we, I think, have a right to ask why um, are we just spectacularly unlucky? And Cammy, you you obviously trained referee. You know it's a difficult job and whatnot. This isn't to do with refereeing per se. This is more uh, an attempt, if you like, to try and just correct mistakes. But something appears that something appears to have gone badly wrong. It does, and I think it's been interesting because obviously the, the way that argument and conversation to this is obviously things like VAR and all that kind of thing. Because now, um, for the first time. I feel that the governing bodies are doing what they can to be able to try and open up assistance to referees, whereas beforehand the subject was verboten. You just, you know, it was a referee's decision. It was final. That was it. And that's that's what, what happens. The compliance officer should work. It should work. And as you say, the theory is sound. The problem is with how we manage it in this country is absolutely ridiculous. Um. The the main thing from a from a referee's perspective, the main thing for me is that it's not refereeing the game in my behalf. So in other words, I should feel comforted by the protection that if I miss something, legitimately miss something, that I have the protection of the compliance officer that the appropriate punishments will be um decided upon and delivered. That's that's absolutely fine. The issue that we've got here is the grey area that we purposely introduced to it for whatever unknown reason, which then states that, for example, when Bobby Madden is looking directly at a challenge and his photograph looking directly at a challenge with nothing in his way, he then has to come out to say, oh, I never saw it properly. And all of a sudden, now what you're doing is you're having to put referees, you know, on the spot to say, you know, tell me why you didn't give this decision, why you made that a yellow card rather than a red card, etc. And what, what should happen is, either the compliance officer or the SM, whoever, has to come out and say, here are the absolute boundaries or remit of the compliance officer and what I will and will not decide upon. And if a referee gives a yellow card rather than a red card, then that referee, if he's made a mistake, will be reprimanded um, accordingly. And again, not a demotion to bottom leagues for a week and then back to where we were, will be properly reprimanded if it requires further training because it's been a series of mistakes by the same individual, then that that is what would happen in a workplace. I mean, you would be you would be reviewed, you would be developed, and you would hopefully eliminate those from your game. The compliance officer should be there that if a guy turns around and punches somebody or boots someone off the ball or something like that happens, they then can make the decision because at that point the referee legitimately hasn't seen it. A linesman's missed it. And I think we've seen in more... Um, higher profile games where you've had additional linesmen, so obviously additional referees at the side of the bylines I have no idea no idea what these guys do, none at all <laughs> so I think the compliance officer can work, but now when you have such a goldfish bowl of Scottish football, it has to be far more linear in what they can and cannot do and until Celtic call for that change, we're all fucked well, yeah, but, but there is that. Um, I think another concern that has been mentioned is that it's one person who isn't a referee, who hasn't been involved in football, who is, in fact, a lawyer. And that's, you know, we're not being derogatory. It's a fact. This is someone who's trained as a lawyer and that's their professional background. Appears to be coming in and making decisions that are football decisions. 
and it has one point of failure. You are absolutely at the the whim of one individual. Um, and has been said by people that even if you you take aside the fact that the person may well be biased or may not, it, it, it's too much for one person for that reason that people are saying, well, you're not doing this, you're not doing that. And you'd be far better off if you're going to have such a system having a panel of maybe three or four ex-referees or current or whatever, but people who could sit down and assess the game and that the system it is a strange system, Cami. I mean, right, we need someone to go over games. I know we'll hire a lawyer. It, it seems weird to me. Yeah, it doesn't follow suit. And I think, listen, we've all done it. Any guy who's ever watched a game of football, who's played a game of football, is naturally an expert. So I get the difference between having just Joe Bloggs do it and someone who's been a trained professional, who's played the game at you know very, very high levels, but also can understand um, when you've got physical interaction, whether it's meant, whether it's not, etc. And and that's what I don't understand. And I'm listen. There's no point in let's. We're not sexist. I mean, we're not turning and say it makes a difference if she's female or male. What makes a difference is that there's a lack of experience within that that allows her the opportunity to come to the best possible, best you know, um, assess most fairly reviewed outcome. And she's she's limited in that. And if it was a guy, he'd be limited in that because it, it's because of their lack of footballing experience. Um, it should be a panel of former referees um, and players, in my opinion, in terms of being able to try and understand that. It should be completely anonymous. Um, and in therefore, it's the same rules no matter what for everyone. Um, because now we're at a stage where, even if you go as far back as a couple of months ago with the Morelos incidents, that it's a coin toss. That gets referred and you've got no idea what the outcome will be. You, we can't sit here and say, right, okay, well, that will definitively or most likely at least be reprimanded versus, no, they'll totally go off with it. You've got no idea what will happen now. No. So you you have in one game, in the same 90 minutes, a player getting kicked in the face versus a player getting kicked in the shin, totally different outcomes. And that is just crazy for me. I just, I do not understand it. Um. And again, as I say, there should be zero referee involvement in this, because you know, from the game, because if a referee has made a judgment on it, and you know, delivered a a, a foul or a yellow card or a red card, then that referee has seen and assessed the situation and dealt with it. If anything else happens off the ball and nothing is awarded, the referee cannot make a judgment call on it because he hasn't seen it those things can be referred to the compliance officer and that has to be a panel. It has to be an odd-numbered panel in order to be able to come to a unanimous decision. Um, because well, I'm, I'm A majority decision, you mean? Well, yeah, so, sorry, I beg your pardon, majority decision. And the, the reason being is because at some point, this will have a very, very serious effect on players who will end up missing key games and, again, wait till Celtic get impacted by this and all of a sudden they won't like they won't like the system. If I can put on my um paranoid hat for a moment, if such a thing exists. I'm sure if it does you could buy it at Parkhead, but uh, my paranoid hat on for a second. Uh this uh focus on Rangers players seems to have gone through the roof since we beat them at uh, the New Year game. 
And it's now ended up with two of our players suspended after what did appear to be an orchestrated campaign in the media by, by Celtic. And the reason I say that is that no complaints at all in the media about the, the old firm match refereeing. Two days later, when Celtic realised, shit, we were getting criticised by our fans for this, suddenly the same pundits who for two days had no complaints about the referee went out and suddenly it was all the referee's fault. And I do think it's culminated in this to the point where, to be honest, when we got that fourth penalty against St Mirren, I thought we'll pay for this soon. Now, it's happened sooner than I thought it would. But I knew that as soon as that happened, it's like, oh, here we go. And is the club doing enough? Publicly, at least they, now we, we can't speak to what they're doing privately, but are they doing enough publicly to point out that, hang on a minute here, we are being, in my opinion, but it is subjective, referee to a different standard, but we are most certainly getting a, a disparate coverage of decisions we get or don't get than any other club in Scotland. Do you think that the, the, the Rangers are doing enough to address that in the eyes of the supporters? Um, I don't. Um, and before I come on to that, I'd just like to say, listen, it, I understand that this is a negative and that we are being attacked for this, but you have to give kudos to Celtic for breaking their silence on certain things. So small victories there. Um, what I will say is Rangers cannot continue going down this route of the ass shucks that are leaving itself out. Uh, don't worry, you know, these things can come and go because... There's, there's, there's clear set agendas and listen, I don't think it is paranoid because you have evidence, David, paranoia is you know, you think that people are talking about it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're wrong I think what you're looking at here is a campaign where referees and the organisations feel under pressure in order to kowtow to um, opinions which change you know, by popular mandate and you can't do things like that because you're either right or you're wrong. You know, you can't just simply decide to punish people retrospectively and rather than get them for crime A, just go after crime B. And what Celtic are exceptional at, and I mean absolutely exceptional, has been able to, to a certain extent, play to the gallery, but for the gallery to then continue on that work for them. Um, and what Rangers need to do, Rangers should never have another statement about a footballing decision that has not been written by a solicitor because when Celtic are very comfortable distributing statements, demanding action, looking for clarification, um, you know, wanting reform, we will send out one that's relatively straightforward. Just say, oh, we're surprised by it. Um, there's a little bit of me which, I, I, and I think people listen to this will say, no, nah, that's that's what Celtic do. We're not like that. We won't revert oh, to yeah, their you level. Def you definitely get that. Yeah. How many punishments do we have to take before we do start seriously <laughs> no. rethinking that? Because if we if we if Their we lose tactic Johnson, works better than ours does, Cammy. <laughs> it does. So, <laughs> so if we okay, so if we lose to St Johnson, um, because enough people had said, well, if we don't get points at Petodre, the league's done. So if we lose to St Johnson, and then theoretically because of Alan McGregor's absence, I'm not pressurising ways fordering him on this, but let's say Alan McGregor missing costs us the Scottish Cup replay against Kilmarnock. Um, within a week we'll have been put out of two competitions pretty much because of missing players because of retrospective punishments that's absolutely pathetic so at what point do we control the narrative because right now we don't want to speak up enough in order to be able to, to change that music and I think that's what we have to be able to do now
Yep, totally agree with that. Well, Cammy, can you give me a prediction for how you see Saturday's match going then? What would be, or what will be, because I know that uh, you like a punt, what will be your bet on Saturday afternoon? 1-0 Lafferty winner in the 89th minute. <laughs> right, that's your, that, that's your weekly one, But uh, even if we're not playing. But uh, what's your serious one? I would say my serious one is 3-0. I would go for a Defoe brace and who else can we put in? Uh, Ryan Kent. Let's say that Ryan Kent can get a goal for us on Saturday as well. So no, I think we'll be comfortable. Um, as I say, hopefully a good performance uh, to to put a bit of pressure on Celtic, uh, get into their game on um, Sunday, which means, uh, as I say, we get back to within a three-point distance and now what we'll have to do is uh, just maintain that pressure. So, yeah, uh, professional uh, performance, please, Rangers. Get the result, get it tied up. Um, good rotation of substitutes, please, Stephen. I would very much enjoy that. Let's, if people are struggling and you need a rest, let's think about how we... Use a bit of our squad and um, nah, 3-0 I'll say. I'll go 4-1 Rangers and I agree with Cammy. I'm going to put Defoe on uh, for more than one. I'll, I'll get him for a, a double as well. So if either of them come up, what we've told you, remember your, your old dad and your old uncle here that gave you the tip. Okay, folks, if you like what you hear from us here in Heart and Hand, remember you can get up to five shows every single day over at uh, the Heart and Hand Patreon site, which is just simply patreon.com forward slash heart and hand. It starts at just one ninety nine per month. And for that, you get between 40 and 50 hours of audio content every single month. Uh, you don't have to listen to all of it. You can pick your favourites. And in fact, there's so much content. If there's a pod there you don't like, you never have to hear them. It's wonderful. But I think you'll end up liking most of them. They're all pretty solid bears. We will be back on Monday with a full review of this Johnson game. So there's just time to thank our executive producers London, Mr. Mike Lee and Mr. Paul Myers. To thank my guest, the wonderful Mr. Cameron James Bell. A pleasure as always, David. Yes, and uh, Cammy's the reason you got a Heart and this week because I'd forgotten and I uh, was just <laughs> sitting my merry way. I did have a you know that vague feeling you get at the back of your the back of your head where you're like, I, there was something I had to do, but I just could not get it. And then Cammy went, "When's extra coming out?" I was like shit. Uh, so uh, well, well, see, David, <laughs> this this is the kind of feeling that most of us who leave the house experience. You're like, have I lifted my wallet? Where's my keys? What's where's my phone? See, if you ever left the house, you would have, you know, understood that feeling. That's when I was like, no, you've forgotten something. What is it? I'm going to a different continent next week, Cammy. I'm off to I'm the other side of the world uh, next week is how far I'm leaving. Although I definitely wouldn't have forgot my keys because I'm not taking them. It seems a bit pointless. You don't need keys when you have the, the, the dogs you have. Yeah, that's true. They can let us in. Okay, folks, uh, thank you for listening. We'll be back on Monday and I hope your team wins on Saturday. Till then, take care. Bye. Podcast Network.